tax tax, which is always exciting. GST reform. That's a great idea. Um, more efficient tax. Due diligence now. Hello, everyone, and welcome. You're listening to Tax Wrap, episode 31 this week. My name is Nathan, and we're joined by Letty, Andy, and Lisa. How are we doing, guys? Oh, we're good, good Nathan. Good, I think so. we can say by now that we are the dynamic quattro <laughs> of tax discussion, tax and superannuation discussion as well. Now, this week has been a busy week uh, where Parliament's concerned. The parliamentary process is always ongoing, and we've got some particular measures that we want to talk about uh, that pertain to... Uh, people that we deal with um, as part of being Taxpayers Australia on a daily basis. So um, things to do with the budget, uh, things to do with primary producers, uh, budget savings measures, tax and, super- sap- sorry, tax and superannuation law amendments, and of course the Australian Small Business and Family Enterprise Ombudsman, which I'm quite excited to talk about. But first, <laughs> small business measures one and two. So Andy, what's going on here? Yeah, basically, uh, Nathan, in the budget, the government uh, announced a couple of uh, measures for small business, uh, a couple of them actually, but uh, the ones of concern here are the 1.5% uh, company tax cut mm-hmm. for small business companies or small business entities. Uh, the other one is the $20,000 um, uh, immediate write-off that we were, we've were we been talking about the last few weeks. And mm. uh, lo and behold... Um, Two of these bills, bills uh, small business measures number one and two, have passed the Senate uh, on Monday. So hurrah! And in terms <laughs> of getting, uh, uh, with respect to the government uh, being able to get that through. So essentially, now from one July two thousand fifteen, we will have a one point five percent tax cut for small companies. So basically, the company tax rate will go down from thirty percent to twenty eight point five percent for those eligible companies. And with respect to the $20,000 immediate write-off, uh, now people can rest assured that from budget night uh, until 30 June 2017, uh, they will be entitled to a $20,000 immediate write-off for uh, the purchase of selected uh, uh, depreciating assets. So that's that's good news for all because you know prior to these measures being passed, you know, we, there was a lot of uncertainty mm-hmm. out there in the uh, the marketplace as to whether this would go through or not. And now that it's through, it gives people a lot more certainty. Of course, there's still a lot of confusion out there as well. So, and one of the things to note is we have had a quick look at the explanatory memorandum and the bills, and there are a few little quirks in there, and that would be explained in our, the next edition of our taxpayer uh, publication. Fantastic. Now, we're just for my curiosities, was there any chance that it would be opposed uh, in the lower or upper house? Was it likely that this would get through all along? Yeah, there was a little bit of uh, po- politics uh, in, in, in Parliament with respect to it. But um, from our viewpoint, it would be you know, remiss of the government or, or for both parties uh, not, to, you know, not to agree to these changes. They are positive for small business and they do give business a, a bit of a leg up. Uh, so, but it's, you know, you never know what's going to happen when these things go through Parliament. And the other thing was, as you probably note as well, Nathan, is that they did have these measures in a couple of different bills. They didn't want to package it into, into one bill just in case, you know, one of the measures uh, fell through. So, mm-hmm. so what you can see here is the government's issued these uh, measures in bills number one and two. So just in case one of them fell through, at least the other would pass. Fantastic. Now, primary producers uh, may have a reason to smile. Why is that? 
Yes, so basically the government, as part of the same number two bill there, the government uh, during the budget did introduce uh, some measures with respect to uh, claiming uh, certain silos and water irrigation type um, uh, equipment. Uh, they used to be, uh, they used to have fairly lengthy uh, uh, depreciation rates, you know, you're looking at 30 to, to 50 years for some assets. So with some of these assets, either you can get immediate write-off or alternatively, uh, you can get a, a write-off over three years. So, so that's positive news for all our primary producers out there. That's fantastic. Historically, have there been a lot of tax cuts for that kind of sector? Or? Um, there are a lot of measures for primary producers out there. They can use uh, income averaging okay. if, if they wanted to. Uh, there are also special uh, accounts that uh, are called farm management deposits that are also available for uh, eligible primary producers. Okay, so when we talk about income averaging, you mean in the sense that um, special professions might also be able to do the same thing, like musicians or...? That's correct, yeah. Okay. So very similar measures. It's, it's basically to, uh, Nathan, to uh, ease out, you know, so, sort of the seasonal pain that uh, primary producers can feel. You know, you might have a drought one year and then you might, uh, you know, might make hay whilst the sun is shining another year. So, so basically those measures is just to ease out that, that tax, uh, tax burden for, for those, uh, for those uh, primary producers. Fantastic. Now, Letty, the Labor 2013-14 budget savings measure... Sure. Uh, bill, sorry, measure number one. Um, it's got a very simple takeaway point for um, everyday well, taxpayers. But what, what's going on behind the scenes here? Well, this is just hot. This news is just hot off the press. Fantastic. Uh, literally, just yesterday, the Senate passed this bill. As Nathan mentioned, there is a end takeaway point. The takeaway point is that your tax, your personal tax rates won't be changing for the next year. Now, I'll give a bit of a short history behind this in a paragraph or less. <laughs> um, so basically, when the previous government brought in the carbon tax, they also brought in a couple of rounds of tax cuts to compensate ordinary Australians who may end up having to pay more um, for goods and services because of the carbon tax. Uh, one round of the tax cuts has been and gone. Um, the second round of the tax cuts was due to start 1st of July 2015, in other words, for the upcoming 2016 financial year. Now, when the current government got rid of the carbon tax, they also obviously wanted to uh, remove the tax cuts that that were meant to co- compensate people for the car- car- carbon tax. Um, last year, they, they were unsuccessful in getting that uh, removal through Parliament, but literally just yesterday, uh, um, the Senate passed a bill. So basically what that means is that the personal tax rates will not be changing for the next year. Just by just by way of um, interest, if anyone's interested, uh, the tax cuts that were meant to come in was that the tax-free threshold was meant to go from $18,200 up to $19,400. Mm. Uh, but the second personal marginal tax rate was meant to go from 32.5% to 33 percent um, so those won't be changing and as an additional uh, measure in the bill um, the low income tax offset for taxpayers who are on low incomes was meant to fall from 445 dollars down to 300 dollars with a few other uh, fiddly changes in in the mechanisms as well and that is also not changing so to cut a long story short it's been a bit of a two-year saga but basically um tax rates will stay the same for next year okay and our everyday taxpayers missing out on much particularly with the the tax free threshold it was going to increase by not an awful lot in the grand scheme of things so would that have been well yeah so it was meant to increase by thousand two hundred dollars but 
along with that, the second personal marginal tax rate was also meant to go up a little bit, and the low income tax offset was also meant to fall. So uh, as with all things, it's usually give with one hand and take with the other. Mm-hmm. And I guess you have to look at a bigger scheme of things as well uh, with the removal of the carbon tax. Fair enough, so, yeah. And so um, what we've got here is a bit more certainty. Um, Absolutely. And we've been talking about it, Lady and Andy, um, in the office and things like that, that um, the parliament is only sitting till the end of next week. We need the rates for next year. We need the rates to finish off the tax summary, which we're busy <laughs> finishing off. So sure. we were sort of glad in one way that we didn't have to change the rates. <laughs> so we were quite relieved with that. And the other thing that I'd just like to mention with this, it gives certainty for people who are meant yeah. to be doing their trust resolutions as well. Yes. So yeah. if the tax-free threshold um, is staying where it is, it means you can have more certainty if you're going to distribute to beneficiaries planning-wise, just below the threshold. So it's those sort of things that will give us certainty. Um, and as I said, we're really glad we don't have to change the rates in the chapter. Yes. <laughs> I can see our co- uh, colleague Kevin there celebrating. So. <laughs> yes, yes. And yes, certainly with only a, year and a, uh, a week and a half to go until year-end, we certainly want to know what the tax rates are for next year. Yeah, absolutely. Our workload has decreased by well, about 20%, would you say? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It's a fantastic margin. Now, tax incineration, superannuation. I, I'm having a lot of trouble saying superannuation <laughs> today. I, I thought you were going to have a problem saying ombuds. <laughs> tax and superannuation law amendment 2015 now what's going on here yeah this this has been going around uh, along for a while as well Nathan but um, we do get we do get there's two points that I want to make about this particular bill it has passed the Senate and there are two measures that uh, are of relevance to uh, our listeners now the first one is the abolishment of the first home savers account so that will uh, apply in effect from uh, 2014-15 budget might so that we're looking at about uh, a year and a half or just over a year ago. Mm-hmm. The other measure that will also be abolished is what they refer to as the dependent spouse tax offset. So that will also uh, be abolished. Um, now, what the government, in its current guise, uh, that particular um, dependent spouse tax offset applied for spouses who were born prior to 1 July um, 1952 but now they've abolished that completely and one of the things to note we were talking about you know sort of legislation being legislated quite late is that this will apply from 1 July 2014 so the tax office on its guidance has told people to, to hold off claiming this particular um, uh, particular uh, offset and now it's come to fruition so so just for people to note the uh, Dependent spouse tax offset has been abolished from 1 July 2014. Uh, the government has noted that it is quite an old type of offset where, uh, and they're trying to encourage uh, spouses to return back to work. Uh, there is still a dependent invalid and uh, carer tax offset that was introduced uh, from 1 July 2012. So that's just, just something for people to note. Um, and as part of that, uh, they will expand that offset by removing certain exclusions in relation to that previous dependent spouse tax offset. Okay. So, so once again, is take with one hand and give with the other. That's correct. Yes. So, so it's it's change that's making way for more change. Would you say is that? Can we definitively say at this point? Or yeah, ba- basically the the way that that offsets, it's a, it's a very very complex offset. Um, you know, um, we were working on it in the tax summary in the office and. You know, we're still scratching our heads in, in terms of how, how did somebody come up with this sort of offset. But, okay. But I think in short, um, the offset itself has been removed for, for spouses. The only time that you can get uh, a special offset now 
uh, is if you're a, a carer uh, for for you're a carer or, or you're looking after after somebody who's an invalid. I think for for folks who suffer from a disability. So that's that's the extent of the offset now. Okay. Do we think these changes are, are good? Um, well, to some extent, they're budget uh, measures. They're budget cutting measures. Um, in in our view. Um, it is probably a positive thing if you were to look at it from from that way, but um, obviously you'll have to provide these benefits to spouses through other mechanisms, either through the welfare system. So we, you know, currently we've got family uh, tax benefit Part A and Part B, so they would, in essence, compensate for that. Okay. Now the small business, sorry, the Australian Small Business and Family Enterprise Ombudsman. Yes. I got the first one right. Let's see how we go after that. Now, uh, this is hot off the press as well. The legislation for the, the Australian Small Business and Family Enterprise Ombudsman passed... Passed the House of Representatives. Passed the House of Reps uh, yesterday. Is that correct, Bloody? Yes. So now it's going to go before uh, the Senate. Now, the, the government first announced uh, this, the Ombudsman, a couple of years ago. And basically... Uh, We'll go through the functions, what, what was it the Ombudsman was intended to do and will be intended to do. So the Ombudsman will be a Commonwealth-wide advocate for smaller enterprises, uh, a single entry point agency for small business to access federal government small business programs and support, uh, contributors making federal laws and regulations more small business friendly, and a concierge for dispute resolution. Uh, the Ombudsman will also play a leadership role in collaborating with state small business commissioners, other state and territory officials, and peak industry bodies. Now, the explanatory memorandum to the bill declares that the Ombudsman advocacy and assistance functions will be completely separate from each other, and that's important in facilitating actual and perceived impartiality. So we want to make sure that those two are complete, completely separate and that the people view that those two functions are completely separate. Now, as part of its advocacy function, the Ombudsman will undertake research and inquiry processes into legislation, policies and practices affecting small business and family enterprises. And this function will be supported by uh, statutory information gathering powers, such as the ability to conduct hearings. The assistance function, on the other hand, will include responding to requests by business for assistance by referring requests to or working with another Commonwealth or state or territory agency. The Ombudsman will also make recommendations on dispute resolution and will have the power to facilitate ADR processes. So, so Naif, uh, is it fair to say, uh, I get to be the interviewer now, is it fair to say <laughs> that uh, the, um, the Ombudsman's role is to be helpful for small business? Is that how you see it? Well, you definitely think so. I mean, I haven't really been following the politics up until this point. Um, that suggests maybe the small business needs its own dedicated advocate, but it definitely seems like they've created an all-purpose solution for small businesses, um, particularly in the um, advocacy function. And yes. I, I didn't see a, an installed ombudsman actually being able to perform that function. Yes. The concierge, concierge function definitely seems like something an ombudsman mm. would have, uh, particularly uh, the the legislation said that the, the ombudsman will um, create and maintain a list of ADR providers, which it will then recommend to businesses and parties yes. as the need arises. So that's an interesting function that yes. it has. But I think it's a good thing that it will be able to um, perform an advocacy function yes. um, for small businesses, and, and I'm not sure. I'm not sure if that's something that has been done or how it's been covered by other agencies in the past. Um, sure. I open that up to you guys. I mean, if um, in the past, if small businesses, if they had issues requiring some sort of advocacy, where would they go for that? 
Yeah, I mean, typically, Nathan, I I would say that, you know, most of the uh, existing offices, you know, state offices um, would provide that sort of business assistance. Uh, All the state governments do have, you know, sort of very good business and consumer type um, uh, centres in their capital cities. So, but I I think having this this particular ombudsman uh, role, uh, I think, you know, marries up everything perfectly. Uh, I think that the one thing that they probably need to do is to actually advertise and make people aware of it, you know, know that there is yeah. one out, out there. And I think that's that's one of the things that, you know, that's the challenge for, for government. You know, you have a small business ombudsman, now you need to actually uh, spruik it, make sure that people actually take advantage of it. I think, I think you know, if small business can see that there is advantages from using a, such an ombudsman, then they, you know, it, it'll be well, well worthwhile. Absolutely. And I think it's probably come about a week too late for us at Taxpayers Australia because we've lost our uh, coffee shop across the road that make really good coffees. <laughs> so I think the three, three Queen Bees could have really done with the Ombudsman about uh, a month ago when uh, they were having a few disputes that we're aware of. So um, if anyone knows or wants to open up a nice coffee shop in our area, we'd really appreciate it. Please do. It was within walking distance and now we have nothing within walking distance. <laughs> Unless we want to get our car washed at the same time. <laughs> Now, uh, Lady, I see here that the Ombudsman was was, uh, designed to replace the Office of the Australian Small Business Commissioner. Now, how will their roles differ, do you know? Well, sure. So one thing that um, the government has said is that while it is uh, taking over the existing Office of the Australian Small Business Commissioner, this new Ombudsman will actually have uh, an increased range of powers and responsibilities and it is also part of the government's overall sort of deregulation uh, agenda whereby they want to make um, laws and compliance and just everyday living easier for small business operators and have and having this new ombudsman with uh, with in- increased powers and functions um, they're also going to uh, do its functions in a, in a more coordinated approach approach on a national basis, while we have many state bodies and state offices that fulfil a lot of the um, a lot of the assistance roles and probably some of the advocacy functions as well, uh, where things are state-based or territory-based, obviously there's, it's going to be quite disparate, there's going to be a lot of uh, different things all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, we, there's still a big role for the state-based um, offices because there's a lot of laws and a lot of regulations that are state-based. Mm-hmm. and you know, business operators need to be able to talk to somebody local, I suppose, about issues that are a bit more local. But it is a good move for the government to um, install install an ombudsman, which would take a national co- coordinated approach to to dealing with small business issues. Absolutely, and I think in the way that it's been presented as well, it, it interests me because an an ombudsman sort of carries that sphere of accessibility. Like it, it feels like a government department that you actually can go to if you have mm. any issues, mm. as opposed to a commission or as opposed to, you know, a government department just being called a government department. But an ombudsman seems to be something that is on the the small business owner's side, which I guess is probably yes. not mm. an accident that mm. they did that. So it's an interesting thing, and it also has. Um, a view to reduce the regulatory burden on small and family businesses. There are, there are a couple of points here. Uh, reducing administrative burdens, for example, by suggesting simplifications to admin forms and processes. Uh, minimising the costs business incur in complying with regulations, which I think is a big one. Mm. Uh, providing advice on matters affecting the interactions of small businesses and family enterprises with mm. Commonwealth agencies. So there, those are the, some of the, mm. the big advantages that small businesses will see mm. once 
the ombudsman is installed. Mm. Now, as to when the ombudsman is installed, it's still the legislation still has to go mm. through the Senate, of Absolutely. course, uh, and has to receive royal assent. So yeah. there's still some steps to go through. Okay, sure. We saw in the uh, last year's federal budget that um, funding was provided from the 2015 to this current year for the next three, four years. And so we, we're likely to see something happen soon. Fantastic. Well, it's good to catch up on all the legislation that's been going through Parliament. Uh, I think it's exciting. It's good to see that government and the executive and parliament's moving. It's good to see. So thanks for joining us this week on episode 31. Join us next week for 32. See ya. Thank you. Bye.